You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. You are listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, your host. Today, we're going to visit with a gentleman who calls himself the Chief Marketect, and I'm going to let him explain what that means. His his name is Russell Lundstrom. Russell, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Doug. I'm excited to be here. Um Particularly on your cast, the whole uh, common sense and business thing seems to be a slippery thread in the today's world. So it, it, <laughs> hopefully it definitely we can grab is. onto that. And that's why I've uh, put my flag in the sand to help business owners, executives, and, and people who are in leadership strive to find a common sense answer for whatever the subject may be that they're dealing with. It's... Um, uh, we, we've migrated into a world that everybody thinks complex is better, that if, mm. if I can sound smart or pile on some details, it, it's a better product, it's a better service. And uh, in the leadership arena, that's just not true. But uh, yeah, I'm I not sure up- it's true anywhere. <laughs> Well, quite possibly, and that may be the subject of another show, but uh, I will step off my soapbox and give you a chance. Give us a little bit of backstory. How did your journey get you to where you are right now? Well, um, I was, my father was an immigrant um, from Europe, and he came to America because America was the place the only place in the world where you could come and make your dreams a reality. And um, so I was just raised with that mentality and where going out and creating value for other people um, to him was that was entrepreneurship. And that was just the mindset he instilled at a, in us as children and both my brothers and sister um they, they all work in their own businesses. I don't think any of us have really had many jobs outside of, you know, little, uh, you know, cooking jobs or little things like that. So it's sometimes I wonder if he didn't um, infect us sometimes because you got to be <laughs> a little bit of a, a lunatic to want to start your own business. Um, but that's what I live for. Kind of like what you said. I, I look around our world today and everything of value, even like my coffee cup here, or my phone was created um, by some person who has a dream and a vision and the courage to pursue it um, and make it a reality. And so that's who I work for is the entrepreneur. But that's just been my whole life. I've started many, many different businesses, been quite lucky in a few and have lots of uh, pioneering ar- arrows in my back. So yeah, that's kind of how I got here. So talk a little more about the, the specific platform and, and program that you offer now to the world. Yeah, so let's let's talk, talk about this idea of the Markitect, um, because that's really my mission today is to kind of get this out there. And after 35 years of starting my own businesses, and I most of the time I was lucky enough to work with my sister. She's usually my partner in my businesses. And... I'm always typically in the role of marketing. 
And I've also been lucky enough um, in the last 10, 15 years, I joined an organization called the Entrepreneurs Organization. And so my peer group and who I hang out with is basically um, entrepreneurs, small business entrepreneurs, usually under 10 million in revenue. And so I was the guy who knew marketing. And for years and years and years, I have heard this story of, oh, from the founders, hey, I, I, um, I, I went and hired XYZ marketing company and spent thirty to $50,000 with them in six to eight months and got nothing for it. And to this day, I still hear this story. And it was back in 2019 where I had this bit of an epiphany um, of what, what the missing piece in the marketing world is. And so that's a architect. And I don't know, have you, I'm sure you've talked to enough business owners. I mean, marketing engagements, unfortunately, end a lot of times in disappointment. And so that's what we're trying to, to solve here. Yeah. You know, the classic phrase that I always go back to, I don't know who was attributed with quoting it the first time, but classic phrase was the owners as I know that 50% of my marketing budget is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a shame because if you, if you look at a small business that's on the precipice of success, um, that 50% could make or break them. And, and I, I have this, I don't want to say it's a nightmare, but a, a shuddering thought around how many better mousetraps are out throughout history that would improve humanity and our quality of life that are, are dying, you know, in the back of a room somewhere because they didn't know how to do the marketing. You know, all these amazing products and services that could be out there, but aren't because the business failed. Yeah. And so let me, let me paint the picture what a architect is. Have you ever, have you ever built a, a home or built oh, yeah. a house? Yeah. So when you're, if you're, you know, if you're thinking you've dreamt your whole life of building this incredible, beautiful home, and you can see it in vivid detail. You can see, you know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what style of house it is. You can picture the land and your gardens, the whole nine yards. And you finally get that opportunity to go build your house. You got the land, you have the money. You typically would go out and, you know, look for a contractor to help you build this house. And you would typically probably start with your friends. You would, you know, do some, get some referrals but you would find that general contractor and work with them. And the contractor then goes out and hires the plumbers, the electricians, the drywallers, and the painters, and those specialists that make your dream a reality. Now, in, the, in building a house, you would never, ever, ever dream of starting that process if you haven't also hired an architect to draft the blueprint of your house, right? The blueprints is what says, hey, we have this much money, we have these materials to work with, this is what the house looks like, you know, it's position, it's an adobe house or a colonial or whatever. And it, it's the map that tells everyone how to be successful. But in the small business world, um, and I'm sure you and all your listeners have been through this probably, is you go through kind of the same process. The entrepreneur has their vision, and unfortunately, what happens is they go hire a, a contractor, typically like a marketing agency or something. The agency then handles, you know, the specific channels, whether it's online, offline, event marketing, pay-per-click, whatever. Those are the specialists. 
But what does not exist in the, in the marketing world is this idea of a marketing architect who can build and put together your blueprint so that everybody knows what to do to build your dream. And, and that's kind of this, you know, again, it's 35 years of knocking my head against the wall that I think I finally figured out how to do this blueprinting process. Well, I, I, I am spot on with you. And for my listeners who have been regulars, they, they know we've actually had several episodes talking about the marketing arena and the emerging theme is this idea you need that blueprint, you need a plan, you need to match up the specificity of this vision you've got for your company with brand, brand value, messaging, mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And you're, you're right. Most small business owners, and Lord knows I was guilty of it in the early days, we go start hiring this specialist, you know, we'll build my website, create my SEO, uh, put me on social media, get me some yeah. videos, do me some things. But it's not cohesive. And in fact, if anybody is consuming it, they see the snippets and pieces and they go, what? What are we talking about here? I, I, they get confused. And to borrow a line from sales training, a confused mind says no. Never buys. Never right. buys. You're absolutely right. And it's, I mean, I do like that house building analogy because it, it parallels trying to build a business so well. Um, you know, the common sense of it. It's like hiring a plumber to do your foundation or an electrician to do your roofing. It just doesn't make sense. And, and unfortunately, that's pretty much how the small business world works. And so... In, in discovering how to do this, we I, I love your common sense theme because I kind of looked at it from the standpoint of, all right, what is what are the universal elements that every business has in order to be to use marketing to, to grow the business? Um, and it's it's I call it the periodic table of marketing, right? Like these base elements, because every business is absolutely unique. You have a unique product or service. You have a unique customer. So rather than trying to shove your particular business into a strategy and making it work, we just flipped it on its head and said, okay, what are the strategies that are natural for this business? Does that make sense? Right. And when you treat it that way, it becomes a very logical progression of first, we have to do this, this thing first, then this, then this, then this, then this. And then it gives the, the founder, the leader of the company, the ability to, to make some decisions regarding these limited resources and where are you going to deploy them in order to achieve your objective vision or, or goals. Right. Well, when you start working with a brand new client, what's the approximate timeline for shaping up and putting one of these blueprints together? Um, it, it, again, it's reverse engineered out of the business. So it, it really depends on the complexity of the business. But what's great about the process is that it works for large. We've done this with large global brands like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all the way down to like my local barbershop. We did it with them. And so what it is, is you're kind of using these natural elements, but the first, um, 
And and so the the length of time varies. Like with with Rich Dad Poor Dad, it was almost a year long engagement. Um, uh, whereas the barber shop, you know, was two three weeks. But the biggest part of this is sometimes just getting that vision and the objectives down on paper, right? That's so. That's uh, how many times do you hear a business owner say, "Well, about an employee or or a vendor or something like they just don't get it. They just don't see it." And that's usually a, a miscommunication around the vision and the objective of what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I think ironically, that's often hard for business owners, founder creators to, to put together. They, they inevitably have a vision of what they think they want to be about, but they've not done the work to really flesh it out into a, statement of value, you know, here's the value I'm creating in the world. And yes, it may be very specific and very unique for somebody, but okay, what's special about it and what's different? And yeah, I think I know in, in a lot of the work I've done trying to be an advisor for small businesses, they, they really get hung up on creating the specificity of, of the client they want to serve. Great, great transition into how do we actually do this, right? So, and and I like, so we specialize in working usually with businesses that are under 5 million in revenue. They're, they're large enough, they have some resources to work with, um, but they're not so large that things have gotten so complex and the team members are so vast that, we, you know, it's hard to get things done. But when we start, um, we typically will start with, you know, what is what does success look like? What's the 12 month objective here? Are we talking about just growing a single product or single product line? Um, are we talking about, you know, whether it's and, and I try to break things down into the elemental components. So you have a B2B business is going to be a different marketing plan than a B2C business just by the nature of the business. Right. And it's usually dictated by transactional volume. But we work with the, the easiest way to illustrate this is by saying um, we have a new B2B product or service. What is a, a seven figure or a million dollar marketing plan looks like? And so you can begin that by saying, OK, well, a million dollars is eighty three thousand three hundred thirty three dollars a month. So then we can say, okay, for 12 months, we need to do 83,000. What's my app? It's, it all begins with, we have this equation we use called the master marketing equation. And um, everyone's heard the saying, I think, but I'd love to break it down for you and, and let's explore some of the elements because we treat it like a math equation where we wanna solve for the variables. And once you can do that, then you can move forward as the leader and have a tool set that helps you make these decisions, right? So for, for us, what we do, and it's called the master marketing equation, and it equals RM plus RP plus RTP. Um, and that will give you the highest probability marketing. It stands for if you can show the right message to the right person at the right time and place, chances are you're gonna have marketing that works. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. So, um, but if you think about this, if so, if we have these three variables, if you think about it, the right message and the right time and place, both of those are 100% dependent on who the right person is for your business. 
right? So if you're selling to, say, a housewife, she has different needs, different wants um, that she's shopping for, as well as she probably goes to different places to do her shopping or research. You know, she might be consulting more with her friend group um, than, say, her husband, even for the same product or service. And most people can can understand this in that, you know, when you even if you're talking about a single household with a husband and wife, the husband has a different need set than the wife. They have different messages. They go to different places to solve those problems. And so that then logically just leads us to, okay, so how do we define this right person variable? That's where it has to start. And most business owners have heard of this, you know, ideal customer, avatar, you know, persona, all this stuff. And and my big epiphany was, was saying, okay, well, wait a minute, Mark, let's back up. Marketing is very overwhelming and it's very expensive. So if we're going to make this decision and we're going to go down the pathway here of finding who is this right person, it makes common sense then, doesn't it, Doug, to say, let's go find who is the most profitable customer in my business and let's at least start the marketing there. Because then we can come in and say, all right, at least if we're able to be successful in our marketing, we're at least getting our most profitable customer. So now that that just logically, the next question is, how do you determine who's your most profitable customer? And that's a simple accounting question, right? Just go ask your accountant to list right. out your customers for the last 12 months. <clears throat> And let's peg that group. Every business has this 80-20 principle. And let's peg that 20% that drives the 80% of your profits as your ideal customer. Right. Now we have a logical, numbers-based, objective um, decision point in which to say, all right, this is the, the persona that we're going after. Now, what do we need to do? What is the message that that persona needs to hear from you in order to entertain the idea of doing business with you? Right. And it's ironic. I, I have dealt with a number of small businesses where the, the vision is fairly clear of what they want to do, but they've not really done enough on who they want to do it for. Right. Right. And uh, even your analogy about home building, I happen to have had a, a, a several home builder, remodeler type clients. Um, I, I come from a real estate banking background, so there's a natural gravitation and connection with those guys. But often when I talk to them, they're not really ever thinking about their end buyer, their their mm -hmm. consumer that's going to be contracting for the remodeling or buying a custom home. They're more focused on the product they're delivering and the and the the, the fixtures and the finishes and the the technology that might be available. And I've, in every case, I've challenged them to say, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. that is your how, but, you know, who is the who that you're trying to serve? Have you ever even begun to think about that? Yeah. And the answer has always been, no, not really. And it's like, well, how in the world are you 
even defining the amenities that you're putting into these projects if you if you only are uh, looking in hindsight at who your ultimate buyers were. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point too. A lot of entrepreneurs um, really have this mindset of when you ask them, "Well, who is your customer?" And you know, we're ambitious people, so everybody's a customer always. And like you said, when you're trying to sell to everybody, you're selling to nobody. And, um, you know, on that note, it's, I have a really great example that can illustrate this for you. So we, um, we worked with a, a small business broker here in town. So they specialized in selling small businesses, um, again, under 5 million usually. So we're talking your local, you know, the garages, your laundromats, your, your strip mall stores, things like that. And they were very successful to begin with, but they had a, a, a sales team of about 12 representatives who were literally going out and knocking on doors. And while that works, it's terribly inefficient. And so what we did with them is we came in that first step is we said, well, how do we, who is your ideal customer? And so we printed out all the deals they had done over the prior 12 months, organized and sorted them by profit not revenue, revenue is just a vanity number, um, but profit, where were they actually making their money? And once we did that and we did the 80-20, and in, the, in their case, it was actually closer to 90-10, um, 90% of their profits came out of one specific group of businesses that they could sell to, which was the home services industry. You know, roofers, painters, uh, window installation companies, things like that. Well, once we had that realization and we could see that, now we could go in and create, I love just create, being able to create a list, right? For their salespeople, we could say, give me a list of all the top 50 roofing companies in town and the top 50 window companies and, and on and on and on. Even better though, if you think about the other side, who is the buyer? So if you're, Doug, let's say you have a roofing company and you've been in business 20 years and now it's time to sell your business and retire and you're looking for a business broker and you go to broker A and you go to their website and of course they all say the same thing. Oh, we're the best. We're going to get you the most money, the quickest sale. Real estate's the same thing, right? A says that. B says, oh, we're the best. We get you the most money. We blah, blah, blah. Same message. And then they come to my friend's business that says, hey, we specialize in home services businesses. We understand your business. We understand where to drive the value. We understand what your goals are. And, and not only that, but we have a vast pool of buyers looking to buy your business. Now, from a marketing standpoint, who do you think you're, who would you choose to sell your business? Right? It's the specialist in that business. That's a no brainer. And so now as a result of this, their sales team were highly focused. And I think the last time I spoke with them, they're probably one of the largest uh, business brokers in all of the United States now. They've expanded out of the state and it's they've just done incredible things. But um, it's that specificity that gave them the next level to really move in and dial in where they were going. Yeah. And I think from the founder owner's mindset shift challenge is, is the idea that if I niche down is the, is the popular way of describing it, I'm going to lose a lot of opportunity. 
I'm going to lose all these, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of potential prospects. And, and the irony is that's fundamentally not true. If right. And it, it does come back to if you're selling to everybody, you sell to nobody. Well, yeah. And, and in the marketing world, again, we live in an age where not only do we have a somewhat infinite choice in marketing opportunities, right? There's so many different channels, both online and offline. And it, it's even sometimes hard to describe what is marketing. I mean, it's everything from your website to your, your business card to even if you wear uniforms, your employees, your customer service is a marketing department, actually, right? So you want to come in and be able to say, again, I've got this pool of limited resources. Where do I deploy it? And if you're trying to sell to everyone, this is why I love working with um, smaller, younger businesses, because the time factor is the one that is rarely considered. Everyone looks at the dollars, but not all marketing strategies are created equal. So if I'm a young business and cash flow is what's going to keep me in the business, um, you know, maybe SEO isn't the best strategy for my business because I need customers today. And SEO is a long game. It's, a, you know, at least six to seven months before right. you start seeing any returns. And so that might not be the best choice for my business. I need to get something where I can get marketing out and actually get a marketing qualified lead today, right? So I can be in business tomorrow. And it's not about like, that's not that I have a bugaboo with it. I just don't think they're always appropriate. Social media, you know, that too is a long game. You know, you got to build up your following. You got to have proper call to action. And then you can run the probabilities of, you know, your numbers of people opting in and what's your offer in the social media channels. And and so we, we're working on a map now. I wish I had it done for you today, but where you could you could grade different marketing strategies by how complex they are and how what is the length of time it takes for someone to make that buying decision. We want to get, we want to go find, when we work with clients, we want to go find customers who are ready to write a check today. Not the person who's starting shopping. They just became aware they have a problem. There's, you know, mulling it over, that sort of stuff. We want to go create marketing for that person that has the burning need to solve this problem today and they just need to hear the right thing from you and they will write you the check that's where you should start your marketing yeah and, and that's inevitably the the time horizon and, and the trajectory of the small business you're right they need they need revenue generating profit generating customers now so they can fuel the war chest to go fund future efforts right. at, at marketing and sales and um, in so many of the options that are out there are long game plays, websites, mm -hmm. SEO, all of those things. <laughs> let, let me use that to pivot a little bit to, you know, a hot topic today. Everybody's talking about AI and mm -hmm. what that's sure. going to do to my business. And so what are you doing with your work in, in respect to anything related to AI? So, yeah, I mean, of course, that that is the subject right now is AI, right? It's driving everything. And to me, it is it is astounding to see what those tools can do. 
Um, but again, they are just tools in your toolbox. They are not going to solve your business. Um, and, and I see a lot of these posts these days of like, um, particularly around the world of content. Oh, you know, and, and I like taking things to the extreme to illustrate, you know, the point is I, 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 I was, you know, you, you see, oh, AI generated my marketing plan. And to me, that's insane. That's like saying, okay, I found some smart kid on the street to go and I gave him, you know, my, the fate of my entire business rests on, on a computer. Like that's to me, not, doesn't make any sense. Um, and same with content. And, and I look at it through the eyes of say Google, right? Google is the search engine. And Google's job is when you go to Google and type in something, their job is to give you the best response or answer they can. Well, if everyone's using AI right now to, to go out and say, hey, I just wrote 50,000 blog posts in 15 minutes using AI, you've just made Google's job infinitely more difficult, right? And you're pulling from, you know, the, the AI model is just a probability language model that pulls yes from the, the vast internet, but it's not typically generating much new content. It's piecing together, you know, the next probable word. And so content for content's sake isn't necessarily a good thing. You know, so yeah, AI is a is a, an amazing tool, but it is just a tool. If you haven't done your, you know, it, it, it falls into place in that master marketing equation. AI is not going to tell you who your ideal customer is. AI is not going to tell you who's the most profitable customer for your business. AI, AI comes into play um, when you're going to start creating creative messages. You still have to go do your customer research and talk with your customers and say, hey, what is the actual problem we're trying to solve here? And does my product or service match up to that? And then I can go use AI to get creative on the writing and the, and the copy and all that stuff in order to solve that. Yeah. But if you're using AI to determine who is your customer and just assuming that's one of my goals is I want to take the speculation out of marketing. If you're just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it works and all AI in my eyes does is make enable that to happen faster and at greater volume. Yeah. Yeah. It it uh, it is such a huge challenge, and the the other thing I think about from the entrepreneurial standpoint is is just that original ability, and we've already talked about it to try to match up this vision of the ideal customer with the vision of what your business is going to be. I I had one client a couple of years ago, I was engaged to come in and help him with some transitional stuff going on in his business. He had already been in business for several years, had been quite successful, multi-million dollar, but under 10. And my first question was, what's your vision for the company? And he said, I don't want to lose money. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> Uh, pardon, that's kind of table stakes in my yeah. view. That's kind of a given, but you know, no, seriously, what, why do you exist? What do you want to do? And he said, I want to make money and I don't want to lose money. And I said, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to build much with that. 
Yeah. It's almost like saying, back to your house analogy, it's almost like saying, I want a new house, but I just, uh, I don't want to get wet and cold. Yeah. Right. It works. <laughs> and, and that's just it, you know, and, and, and I've had, you know, that, that vision to me is so important. I have a friend of mine who has a really amazing business. Like he even prints this out and this is based on Cameron Harold's work, the Viv vivid vision book, which is amazing for helping entrepreneurs do this. But, you know, if, if you are that entrepreneur, that's just chasing the money or just chasing success and achievement, that's great. Nothing against that, but how is the rest of the world supposed to come and support you and help make that happen if we can't see it? Right. Right. You know, right. and at the end of the day, are you, you know, let's say you end up with, with, um, you know, a, um, an Adobe home and your whole life you've dreamt of this nice colonial, you know, are you going to be happy in that Adobe? Right. Right. Um, I've been through that. You know, I, I started a business in 2013 that, we had a vision, very, very clear vision starting it. But as you do as a young entrepreneur, you know, you're head down, you're just trying to pay the bills and make make it grow. And I pulled my head up four years later and our business was 180 degrees away from the original vision. We originally were going to sell, it was a supplement business. We were going to sell to entrepreneurs and high performance people, athletes, things like that. And four years later, we were selling memory memory supplements to senior citizens who were afraid of Alzheimer's. And I looked up and I was like, you know, this is not the house I wanted to live in. Yeah. And I had to make a decision to basically walk away from that business, start over. I lost that four years and now it's a multi-million dollar, really successful business. But that's the value of that being really clear in the beginning of what you want to build and sticking to that. And where you want to go with it. Yeah. 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 Well, one other question, and I'm totally shifting gears here. With social media out there, there are thousands of people that are across the internet trying to convince small business owners that they have the silver bullet for lead generation. Yeah. You know, I'm going to find you high ticket qualified leads. Here's my deal, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. Um, uh, what what's your take on that as a as an offering so again let's think this through common sense um what i like to lean on is the idea of a lead because in the progression of a business and i, I think it's easier to illustrate and say like a um, low transaction like a b2b company so i'm working with the software company right now a lead is of little value I mean, I could go and scrape LinkedIn and get a bunch of names and phone numbers. There's a bunch of companies out there that sell leads, right? Now, and, and you have to look at how sales and marketing work together in that um, marketing's job is to get a marketing qualified lead, which they can then pass to sales, or actually they market, the closer you can get to the sales qualified lead, which you give to the sales department, they can then do their job better. And that's what sales always says is, right? Like my leads are low quality, they're not qualified. And so you look at this spectrum and the spectrum is, you know, from lead to marketing qualified lead to sales qualified lead to sale. And so now we wanna reverse engineer that. And the closer we can get to the SQL, the better. 
And so in social media, you have to think of it in terms of um, one, yes, your buyers are on social media. Yes, just about everybody has a Facebook account. Everybody has Instagram, all the big ones. But are they going there to buy? And you have to think about, um, my friend Joel Irway gave this another great metaphor of how many decision points are between getting a lead and making a sale. And you have to think of it in terms of that. And, and uh, golf is his metaphor. If you're in the tee box and you're trying to get a, the ball in the hole on a golf course, if it's like a par five, your probability of hitting that out of the tee box and getting a hole in one is nearly zero. But if your ball is, you know, six inches from the hole on the putting green, your probability is way up there. And I, I like that because how many strokes do you have to do to get on the green and then have the possibility of making a sale? Social media for me is the is similar, right? You you get exposure and branding is the same thing, right? You you get exposure to the company, but how many decision points or strokes do you have to make before that customer is able to make a decision to buy your product? In the e-commerce world, it might be, you know, impulse buying. Sure, you show the right ad and they make the purchase. But in a B2B or a more complex sale, there's a lot of decisions in that point. And so when you start your marketing, um, you need to be able to get as close to that conversion event as possible and then work backwards from there. And social media, in my eyes, you know, is is back on the putting is back in the tee box. It's not on the putting green. Yeah. Yeah. And it's expensive. I mean, you have a YouTube channel. How much work does your YouTube channel take? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a it's a big chunk of of back office overhead yeah. to put this all together and get it going. Yeah. Yeah, even your podcast. Um, you know, the 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 resources it takes to execute on these marketing strategies, it's what's is what's never talked about and the complexity of that. And that all that costs money. And so we want to, you know, we our primary aim is to come in and stop the waste in marketing first. You know, if if you if you've been investing in social media and you can say, look, we spend three thousand dollars a month between paying for the help and creating the content. If you can't measure and say, hey, I'm getting an immediate thirty five hundred dollars in return off of that. You need to redirect your focus and say, all right, we need to back up here. And what do we need to do to get a sale today? Right, right. Well, you know, it it, it is so important to have that connection between the, the vision of the business that you want, the, that definition of the ideal buyer, and, and then... I love your analogy. Just, you know, allow the architect to put the plan together on how you're going to get there. Because, you know, if uh, if living in a barn dominium is, is good for you and, you know, you live upstairs and you have something downstairs, it's more of a antique car garage or whatever your thing is, you know, that's vastly different from the you know, villa in the hills. And <laughs> if, if, if you haven't done the work to, to try to figure out what, what that definition is, you can spend an ordinate amount of time, money, and effort to put a message out there that's really not going to land anywhere. 
Yeah, and that that is heartbreaking. I have done that so many times. You know, you go into the new marketing campaign or you hire that new marketing agency or whoever, whatever the situation is, and you can see it. You're like, oh, this is the thing that's finally going to work. But if you haven't done that homework in the beginning, if you haven't done the hard part, which is really understanding who is the person you're selling to, what is the message they need to hear from you in order to buy from you, and where do you show that message? What are those appropriate channels? If you haven't done that hard work, it's, you know, you might get lucky. Everyone gets lucky. There's a big factor of luck in most businesses. But boy, when you when you have all this anticipation and hope and, and investment in a new marketing strategy and then it flops, that's really sometimes even soul crushing. And it and it can actually put you out of business. I mean, I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's um and Absolutely. And, and I've, I've told the story several times before on, on shows that uh, my last big push of, of creating and running a business was a service offering. It was a um, kind of a back office outsourcing sort of model. And uh, we were in the related to the mortgage finance industry. We had identified a segment of that food chain that we could put an outsource model together and four or five other enterprises kind of caught the same wave and we all stood up and tried to run businesses and then we were competing with each other but all of us had moderate degrees of success but then the crash of 08 happened which blew mm -hmm. up the mortgage industry temporarily and all of the five of us that were in that business went under during that time and we had a chance, several of the principals, we had a chance to get together and chat about the retrospect on that whole experience. And our takeaway was we were a solution that didn't have a problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that happens a lot. Ultimately, the, the reality was the thing we offered on paper looked amazing. Yeah. To prospective clients, but the clients didn't want it ultimately. I mean, truthfully, they didn't want it. The yeah. All of us had clients because there were extenuating circumstances where other parties in the transaction mandated that they use something like us to help provide some independence and some other things. So it was a captive demand kind of a situation, but what it was was a was basically a gun being held to the head of our customers. And that's not a good situation. No. Yeah. You don't want your customers resenting you. <laughs> we, we weren't holding the gun. Other parties were, but yeah, you know, but still, it's, it's like, it's a forced buy, right? We were guilty by association and yeah. so we were, uh, we were persona non grata at most meetings. <laughs> yeah. And, and I have, I mean, I have another story um, that's the same thing. And it's, I see that a lot in the SaaS space because you, you know, creating a piece of software, sometimes you are creating a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And um, it's so important. And this, this comes back to the power of that master marketing equation, the right message to the right person at the right time and place. We're talking about the messaging here. Um, we worked with a software company that, uh, was in the small ba uh, small banking sector. So banks that had assets under 10 billion. Um, so like credit unions and these small local banks. 
And believe it or not, this was a few years ago, but what they had was a piece of connector software uh, for cybersecurity. So it was amazing. I didn't know this, but a lot of banks were still using like spreadsheets and really insecure things for managing, you know, user access, passwords and things like that. And so the obvious connection is, well, yeah, of course, cybersecurity and banking, those go hand in hand. Super obvious. And so that's the path that they had gone down with all their marketing was all about cybersecurity. Well, we went and took and started doing our research process of actually talking to the customers. And after having about 10 of these conversations, it was really odd that at about the 25th minute in the conversation, because I try to keep them at 30 minutes, all of them came back. You know, we talked about the really obvious cybersecurity stuff, but then they came back and said, do you know what the real problem is, what the real headache is? We get audited for FDIC insurance every year. And every year it's a new agent and they're trying to, you know, build their career. And so they make it harder and harder and all these weird reports and it's never the same information. And it it's a three month process and we have to put three or four people on it. And it's, you know, two, $300,000 to get the insurance. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, this software can do ad hoc reporting at the push of a button. Now, all of a sudden, that was the real problem, was this annual audits that this software could do. The cybersecurity stuff was just a bonus. And not only that, but now we could come in and put a dollar value on the software where we could say, look, the software costs this. You're spending two, $300,000 a year on these audits. The software can save you that right out of the gate. In yeah. addition to all the cybersecurity and everything else. Right. And you never they never would have known that if they hadn't have done these conversations. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, Russell, I think we're about up on time here. Tell everybody how they can best get a hold of you if they want to know more. Well, so we're at the marketingplanformula.com. And what I would invite all business owners or marketers or whoever's listening is we have this uh, thing we call the, the single sheet marketing plan or the million dollar marketing plan. And you can download it at our site. We created a specific link for your audience, um, marketingplanformula.com slash common sense. And the idea is download this. It's a one page plan and it's meant to be a challenge. Um, most founders will get through and, and you'll get pieces of it, but it's rare. If, if you have the whole thing, you've got a great business. But the idea is download it It'll show you where you're missing and where your gaps are in your marketing. And then we'll offer your customer or anyone listening, we'll offer a complimentary review of that plan and try and help you fill it in. Nice. Um, but that's probably the best place to start and or our YouTube channel, just at Marketing Plan Formula. We try to put as much out there because it's, again, my mission is to help small businesses become more successful in a very selfish way. It improves all of our lives, right? Uh Right. And so that's really my reason for being. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Russell. And folks, as always, we'll have those links in the show notes. So please, you know, click down below whatever you're uh, using right now, whether it's your streaming service or whether you're watching us on our YouTube channel. Same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And uh, Russell, thank you. This has been good. Really appreciate you sitting in. Well, I appreciate it too, Doug. If we can ever do help anyone, just let us know. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. 
Well, folks, with that, we're going to put a bow on it, sign off and say goodbye. But uh, I want to thank you for taking some valuable time out of your day to participate and listen in here. We hope it was helpful. And if you've got ideas or suggestions for other topics, stories, or guests we can have, let me know. Just use any of the links that are available on all of my social media. Drop me a line, give us a tag, and we'll be in touch. So with that, we're going to say goodbye. Take care. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.